Infirmary Media. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in this special Judge's Choice Duel. I am Mark James, and this week I will be bringing all the smoke from April of 1999. And my opponent. What's up? It's Man Crush. I got April of 1988, and I am ready to rock this shit. I was nervous, though, going in, because we got Robert Teppers here. He's going to make this choice on which way we're going to go. So I try to pick it down the middle. So this is going to be interesting. As always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week, our celebrity guest judge is the first to join the Dueling Decades Three Timers Club. And much like his new hit single, he is better than the rest. Please welcome back to the show, Judge Robert Tepper. What's happening, people? I am back. I'm back to judge things in in harsh times. But uh, we're going to make this work today, so uh, I'm glad to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Pack it up, pick it, fire it up, come along. It's time for more. Dueling Decades. Woo! All right, today I'm going to flip a pick, man, because that's the only thing I can find. I here. saw you looking. <laughs> that, that works. <laughs> I was looking. I am. I'm looking for something with a head and the tails, and there is nothing except this pick. So, so we're going to say either the side with writing or that says medium or the side that says nothing. So who's going to call it? Go ahead, Mark. You can call it. All right. Go ahead. Side with no writing. And you won. There oh, it is. Wow. No writing. Right there. See? <laughs> See, no writing. That means writing side down. See, there's extra paint on that side, so it's heavier. See? Science. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Oh, <laughs> Science. Always <laughs> thinking. Always thinking. I love it. All right. Before we get started, though, we need to find out. This is Judge's Choice. Are we going best of? Are we going worst of? Wow. I got to go worst of, man. It's just, I, you know, I just got to. <laughs> Good. We haven't done a worst of in a little bit. This is exciting. All right. So how we prepared for this episode is Man Crush and myself had no clue what Robert Tepper was going to pick. Could have been the best of, could have been the worst of. So our picks are going to be kind of somewhere in between. We're hoping. We're hoping. Yeah. So I'm we'll going to be picking the worst of what you say to me. So we'll see who emerges as the winner. 
All right, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. I took you out of your comfort zone, didn't I, guys? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually – that's good, though, because, like, I kind of prepared for worst a little bit, but I, you know I did on some. You know me. Yeah, we'll you know, see. I look at the black, the dark, you know? <laughs> We'll see how this rolls. Hold on. Let me see if there's a locust outside my door. Oh, there is. Holy shit. <laughs> Where are you going first, Mark? All right. I think for our first one, we're going to start off with some hot products. Ooh, all right. All my right. first hot product I found in a newspaper. In April of 1999, headline reads, Gadget Alerts Bedwetting Kids. Associated Press out of Tokyo, Japanese researchers have come up with a $1.5 million answer to an age-old problem, the electronic alarm that stops kids from wetting the bed. The new machine, devised by a urologist and a telephone maker, measures a child's brain waves and then monitors his bladder. When it's time to go, an alarm goes off and the child heads for the toilet. Clinical testing was finished in January and the device is waiting approval. So monitor your child's brain waves to have them stop wetting the bed. All right. Brand new hot product. All I remember with that, remember uh, different strokes where Danny Cooksey kept wetting the bed and they had an alarm yes, on it? Yes, exactly. Well, they stole that idea. Here we go. So if they went to brain waves, did that shit ever even come I out? I couldn't find anything on it, so... <laughs> Oh man, that might be just uh, that might be a clincher. All right, what do you have for your second pick? All right, my second pick came out in April of 1999, and I'm sure it's something we've all had in our house and we've used at work everywhere. It's the USB flash drive. It's the USB flash drives, the compact size. Uh, they were really popular. They had ever increasing storage capacity the ability to interface with different networks and computers, any computer that had a universal serial bus port, which essentially is absolutely wow. every computer. Okay. The technology was originally invented in 1987, but was incredibly expensive, costing hundreds of dollars per megabyte until the late 1990s. By the end of the decade, flash memory had become so inexpensive that they were actually able to start putting it in consumer devices. So the first patent for a USB-based PC flash disk was filed in April of 1999 by an Israeli company called M Systems. They actually no longer exist. They're SanDisk now. Oddly enough, later that year, IBM also filed a patent disclosure saying that one of their employees actually invented it as well. That's still in dispute. But the original patent was filed in April of 1999 for the USB flash drive. So that's what I got for my hot products. All right. Yeah, yeah. I could see already you followed the same formula that I did <laughs> a little bit. One strong, one weak. So your judging job is going to suck. One piece of shit, the other one, <laughs> hey, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. hey, I thought that flash drive was decent. I mean, that's not a total piece of shit. Uh, are you kidding? The flash drive had to be I mean, the P pad's gold, but you know, <laughs> oh, I don't know about that P pad, man. Uh, Brain waves, dude. Come on. I, w I just want to say, I know that guy and as many children as I have. That thing just, well, I'm not going to say it now. Wait until it's my turn. But just wait. <laughs> All right, man crush. What do you got for hot products? All right. It's 1988, April of 1988. Uh, you know, we all saw the Avengers movies by now, and in Ages of Ultron, there's a specific scene, and it gets all the fans excited. The scene where all the Avengers are sitting around, 
And Thor basically says that they're all not worthy of lifting his hammer. And I'm not, this is not like a sexual metaphor. <laughs> since I'm, I'm sure he'd be okay with Black Widow doing just that. But they're all sitting around and he's laughing at them, trying to lift the hammer like Tony Stark tries. He can't do it. And then Chris Evans goes up and he gives it a shot and he barely budges the hammer. And Thor gets like a little, he remember he's like, and then he can't lift yeah. it. And he, he's like, ha ha, you know. But eventually we all know what happens, anyways. But albeit, that all changed with the Mighty Thor number 390, which was released April of 1988. In this uh, edition of the comic, Captain America, he sees his chance to save the day and Thor in the process. Seeing how Thor, he's getting manhandled by Grog, he loses his hammer in the process. And his hammer has a name, but it's it's got like fucked up spelling and pronunciation, so I'm not even going to try it. We're just going to call it Hammer. Uh, not MC Hammer. I'm sure he can lift him. But uh, Cap, <laughs> leaps, he leaps over to the hammer. And he's able to, he's worthy of lifting it. He smashes every fucking uh, demon of death member uh-huh. in the okay. panel and he saves the day. And at the end of the issue, there's a picture of Thor and Cap just standing there like next to one another, holding the hammer in unison. So Captain America would go on to yield the hammer in two other comics uh, more than 20 years later. But uh, also Thor's hammer, he did it in Avengers Endgame. Spoiler. Uh, he picks it up in the uh, doesn't he throws it or something? I, f- I forgot what happens. I think so. I don't remember. Some shit like that. But it all happened first in the Mighty Thor number 390, which is April <laughs> of 1988. Of course, it's, it's a comic book, if you didn't know. Nice. What do you got for your second one? All right. My second pick. This is a stellar one here. I'm sure everybody has wanted to go back to school and reinvent themselves at one point and Apparently, in the 80s, it was pretty easy to do, especially if you're on the run from the mob who's trying to keep you from testifying against them. And in that case, all you have to do is dye your hair two different colors, enroll in high school again by pulling your name off a Maxwell House can, and obviously that's enough to win the confidence of the most popular kid in school and run for senior class president in the process, and you end up falling in love with the girl from your school. Why not? It's the 80s, right? And you're you're you were a stockbroker before this, so you're probably like thirty. But that's okay. such a typical story. God, <laughs> really? We go up in there. But this is the VHS release. The coffee can, the girl. Yeah, yeah, know. of course, <laughs> Maxwell Hauser. <laughs> this is the uh, the VHS release of the John Cryer classic, Hiding Out, and it looks like the aftermarket prices for VHS skyrocket again in 1988. At least like the lesser titles like this one, they're going for insane prices because this one was re-released or was released for the affordable price of eighty nine ninety five, which is roughly hundred hundred and ninety seven dollars in twenty twenty. Such a deal! Wow. Uh, but that's uh, my second pick. There, it's the VHS release of Hiding Out with John Cryer. I'm gonna throw the uh, bullshit flag that someone paid that much money for a John Cryer film. <laughs> <laughs> <And> that, <laughs> that's why it's my hot product. <laughs> <laughs> wow wow um so now i i gotta tell you when when you guys pass away you should definitely hand your brains right over to science then, because obviously <laughs> nobody thinks of this shit so we had a dropout for the fans who didn't know and uh you started your story again and it was even more boring the second time you came in with the hammer. As a matter of fact, I think the dropout was more interesting. I'm not sure. Okay. Not a comic fan. Not, you know, I mean, I grew up in the classics of comics, but, you know, I was ADD. I couldn't follow the boxes. It was too much for me, you know? And um, 
So the hammer and all that kind of stuff, you know, considering what they have now, it's like, you know, I think maybe you're the only person on the planet who's following <laughs> that stuff. And as far as peeing in a, in, a, in a coffee can to get a date or something like that, a VHS tape, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You absolutely won that round. That was horrible. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Nothing like shitting your way to the top. The flash drive, at least we... We still can relate to a flash drive. What was the first part? What was the story you had? What was the first one? Oh, the kid waking up. I'd love to see a kid who's about to piss, right? Right all over himself or in your bed because they're usually sleeping with you. Wake himself up and goes, oh, my brain waves, mommy and daddy. I got to run to the bathroom. Not happening. Not so you could have lost. You were teeter-tottering, but you, you saved it with your flash drive there, buddy. All right, man crush, you pick up a point, you take control of the board. What category do you want to go with next, man? Uh, let's go to news. News. Let's get this one out of the way. The thing we're not watching these days. Exactly. And these are two news stories that you probably don't even know about. Actually, one you might, but they're both bullshit. Wait. Let's see. April 12th, 1998, Palm Springs, California. Sonny Bono, the singer turned restauranteer who rose to fame singing I've Got You, Babe, to ex-wife Cher, was elected mayor of the desert resort town Tuesday. The uh, the successful candidate walked into a crowd of a 1,000 well-wishers at the Posh Maxim Suite Hotel as the band played the theme to the movie Rocky. Putting Woo! his hand... Probably not not the right theme, though. It would have been better. Yeah. It would have been definitely been better if it was a Robert Tepper theme. Thank you, sir. But, yeah, he, he goes on to win this. And when I was stationed in uh, 29 Palms, we were only an hour from Palm Springs. Okay. And uh, one night, uh, we got fucking loaded. And uh, my one buddy, I won't even name his name, he got fucking trashed. He ends up banging some, like, I want to say senior citizen. She was old. She was probably in her sixties. There goes the PG rating. <laughs> Some old 80 year old girls getting boned by, by a friend of yours. In Go an ahead. alley, in an alley. <laughs> she's, she has sex with a Marine. Who's like 21. She's, like she it. had to be at least in her sixties. All right. There's no pussy. Like, Oh, there's no good. We don't see him for a good, like 15, 20 minutes. And we see him right. walking up the street and we tell him what happens. And we're like, dude, did you at least like, wear a condom or something like, you know, and he goes, nah. And this kid's like from bumfuck, like Ohio. He was like throwing hay bales his whole life. Right. He's like, shit. I was like, dude, just go wash or something. Like, see, he runs over. There's a sunny Bono fucking water fountain with his statue on it. And this dude jumps into the fucking thing and starts splashing water on his cock and balls and washing himself. (laughs) To wipe some old stank off there. That's a pretty good story. I like it. Nobody serves this country like the United States Marines. He made that 65-year-old woman's life. He served the liver. She had some stories at bingo night that Friday, I'll tell you. <laughs> he Don't broke her it. hip, I'm sure. He's a big dude. That is great. All right, so let's move on to the second stories. We had All right. Sonny Bono becoming the mayor of Palm Springs, and the second one's a little bit better. Uh, this might fuck up my round. This is uh, Harvard gets first patent for an animal, April 12th, 1988, calling it a singularly historic event. The United States issued the world's first patent for a higher life form, a genetically engineered mouse to Harvard University on Tuesday. 
the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office issued patent number blah, 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 blah. Uh, mm-hmm. Transgenic non-human mammals developed by Dr. Philip Leder. What was the what was the animal? What was the animal they discovered? Oh, I'm getting to that. So the, uh, the, oh, okay. sorry, the two sorry. of these men, they isolated a gene that causes cancer in mammals, including humans. They injected it into fertilized mouse eggs and developed a new breed of genetically altered mice. Because half of the females develop cancer, the altered breed serves as more of an effective model for studying how genes contribute to the development of cancer, particularly breast cancer. So they went and did this for cancer research. I don't know if it made any difference down the road. Sure, still a lot of people dying from it, but I'm sure it's gotten better. But this is a pretty big deal because it's the first time ever that they got a patent on a, a life form. So I thought that was pretty cool from April of 1988. Mm-hmm. Bono and a patent. Bono and cancerous mice. And washing your dick in a sunny and bottle of water. Dick in a fountain. What do you got, Mark? <laughs> wow. This must be the holiday show. <laughs> so we're going to go to 1999. We got the month of April. And okay. for the news round, you know, I couldn't come without bringing some 420 news. So I go to the Daily Press, Newport News, Virginia, in a newspaper dated April 20th, 1999. There's an article that says, update on marijuana. A few topics are as politically as charged as the discussions about the medical use of marijuana. It has been fueled by the research showing the possible role of cannabinoids, the active ingredient in marijuana in the treatment for some medical problems. And because seven states have either approved the medical use of marijuana or passed balloting, The Foundation Institute of Medicine recently reported on the issue. The Institute concluded that cannabinoids have positive effects for some and that normal problems of drug abuse don't seem to be a major problem with those who use it in this manner. Uh, The closing of the article says the report concludes that the future of the cannabinoid drugs lies not in smoked marijuana, but in chemically defined drugs that act on the cannabinoid systems that are a natural component of the human physiology. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> so basically what this boils down to, 420, 1999, right. they tell us that CBD is actually good for us. Wow. Pretty intense. That's so amazing. that's what I got for my first news story. Right. My second news story, we're going to stay on the exact same day. 420, 1999, and I'm going to paint a little picture for you. We're going to go back to my junior year in college. I remember this day distinctively. We got up and we were all excited, man. It's the last 420 of the 90s. We had these little pins made. It said, you know, happy 420 on it. And I remember this day because, oddly enough, April 20th, also my parents' anniversary. So it was a cool day. We all had the little pins. So we get up in the day. We go to our morning classes. You know, we're all getting ready for the big smoke fest at the end of the day. And about noontime, I head down to the Student Activities Center. And that's where the fun for the day ended. And that's where my pick for this round begins. Because I'm going to do something that nobody has ever done on this show before. My pick will be one word and one word only. And you will understand why. April 20th, 1999. Columbine. Ooh. Bring in the sadness. <laughs> yeah. TV sets across the country are going off. <laughs> so that is my two news stories. Wow. Columbine, the day that ruined 420 for the 90s. Right. 
in the fact that CBD is surprisingly good for you. <laughs> well, you guys were obviously thinking I was going to get you both picked amazingly very i mean those are those are four great fucking stories and i gotta go with uh well i'm not gonna give my final pick yet I, let me just review a little bit so sunny bono's restaurant remember you mentioned that restaurant yeah yeah i used to hang out there it was on melrose and i used to eat there and drink there and hang out there at the end of when i was like you know rocking and rolling here on the in la when i first came out to do my record out here so that was like a big deal you know what i mean and so fucking some 60 year old lady with sunny bono i mean that's awesome man that's unbelievable that was that was my favorite story i mean you can't make that shit up no it was i could still picture it to this day it was fucking hilarious and cancerous mice okay cancerous mice you know helping absolutely nobody what a great story you know um uh I, I got to give the, the, the lose around to you, Mr. Columbine, Mr. Uppity <laughs> up, Mr. Columbine. Yeah. I can't even make a con. I mean, you you picked two things that were nothing but bad news for humanity. OK, let me let me recap. OK, <laughs> so Columbine just changed, you know, gave PTSD to every kid who ever goes to high school from that point on. OK, are we yeah. getting killed today? You know, my kid, he came out to live with me, my 31-year-old. And I remember it's like, they they just, it was like Oz. Remember the show Oz? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember? So they would have, you know, I'm not going to say the group said it was broken up into. So my son played football. So the football players, there was this group and there was that group. And every day you had to go to get into Grand High School, you had to go through a metal detector. I mean, you know, that. thank you, Columbine. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> And you needed it, okay? With these kids, you needed it. And the other story about, I mean, how many people back then went to jail for fucking marijuana, okay? Yeah. And they're talking about something that, I mean, I, 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 gotta, I gotta say, you know, you just bum me out with your stories, man. So you lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one time, like during a Worst of episode where you could bring the sadness and still win around. <laughs> sometimes when you lose you actually win yeah no shit <laughs> all right so where are we going now all right you know what i think it's time to do a little bit of movies let's go to the movies round all right so my first film man crush you're gonna have to help me out with this one oddly enough oh boy and you'll understand why today we were posting content up on our facebook page this movie came up and surprisingly, a lot of people really reacted positively to this film. And a lot mm -hmm. of people picked it. April 1999, we saw the release of Go, film directed by Doug Lyman. Now, I was actually telling Man Crush, I'm going to be honest, I've never seen this film. This is one that totally escaped me. So, again, we put it up on our Facebook today. Great feedback from everyone. Was it a car movie? No, no, no. It is a crime comedy film written by Doug Lyman. Basically, how everyone describes this movie is Quentin Tarantino yes. movie yep. with young kids. Yep, spot on. You've seen it. You saw it. You've seen it. Yeah. Uh, it starred Katie Holmes, Sarah Poli, Scott Wolf, Jay Moore. Scott Wolf, Jay Moore. What a cast. Yeah. Party of Five, Scott Wolf. Yep. Scott Wolf, Party of Five. Love that guy. They originally weren't going to cast him in this movie because they didn't want two TV stars and Katie Holmes had already been cast. 
But uh, once they saw how we interacted with Jay Moore, and there was kind of like a natural chemistry between the two, they're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. we, we got to put him in. Uh, the film actually marks the debut as well of Melissa McCarthy. That's her film debut. Oh, wow. That's my first movie. Go. It's a great movie. Watch it. It's, especially if you're on quarantine, this is the best time. Like if you're at home and that's why we put these things up every day. So you guys can go. And if you see a movie that you don't know what it is, but you see that it's getting a lot of votes, go and watch it. Cause it's probably good. Right. Yeah, I do it all the time. If I don't know what to watch, sometimes I'll, I'll throw up a poll in our Facebook group and see what gets positive reactions. Sure, people out. know, man, they yeah. watch, they get to it. Our audience is smart. They know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so my second movie selection came out April 16th, 1999, and this was the last R-rated movie that the great Eddie Murphy did until he came out with the Dolomite film in 2019. The movie I'm talking about is Life. Came out with, uh, it was Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, and it was the film debut of Anthony Anderson, also had Bernie Mac, and just the cameos just go on and on. This is just a really kind of an underrated film. Different film that you've seen from Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence uh, tells the tale of in 1932, two strangers are wrongfully convicted and develop a strong friendship in prison that lasts them all the way through the 20th century. And that's what I liked best about this movie is it told the story of these two characters over time and you saw them age through the years. Eddie Murphy, again, teamed up with the great Rick Baker, but this time... This is the only movie that Eddie Murphy did with Rick Baker where he didn't play multiple characters. All the Eddie Murphy makeup is just aging him in this one. So great work by Rick Baker on this. Kind of an underrated movie, but uh, that's life. Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. That's my second selection. All right, right, man crush. What do you got for movies? All right, let's go to April 22nd, 1988. We got the acting debut for this action movie, Martial Arts Superstar. From the 80s and 90s, he's been well over 50 movies since this flick. Although after the mid to late 90s, his career kind of just went off the rails. He's he still puts out movies, but he's totally not like the guy that we remember from the 1988 classic to put him on the map, which is this one. Uh, the movie also starred the amazing Pam Greer, Sharon Stone, and the fantastic villain Henry Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not know Silva by name, but you'd recognize him from a ton of movies. And I was actually surprised he's still alive and he's kicking at 91. God bless him. Hopefully he's staying in his wow. house. At the box office, this movie here, it brought in $19 million, around $42 million in 2020, which isn't bad for an action movie from a completely unknown at the time. This guy that starred in this movie, first ever movie. Uh, the guy I'm talking about here, he also co-wrote and pro- co-produced this gem. Uh, I took a page out of Stallone's playbook there. The movie I speak of is none other than the Steven Seagal classic, Above the Law. And uh, legend has it that this kicked off the whole Aikido boom of 1988. I don't know if that's a real thing. I'm just going to throw that out there. But uh, (laughs) Ah, the great Aikido boom. (laughs) They were going through scripts, and these were all scripts that were written for Clint Eastwood. And uh, he grabbed it, and they rewrote it for him, obviously. Was it a change in uh or the? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what they did. I mean... His lines in this movie are pretty atrocious, but the action scenes are cool. I mean, if you've seen, you know, actually speaking of this movie, uh, this is above the law. If you haven't figured it out, they've been talking about doing a sequel to this movie for the last four years. Wow. Um, and obviously it's just rumors, but who wants to see like an out of shape Nico Toscani? 
in 2020. Like, yeah. who the fuck wants to do that? And going back to the Henry Silva thing, so if you guys don't know who he is, just think about the arm break scene. That's Henry Silva getting his arm broken. Uh, so every time you see that guy. gif, that's the guy, Henry Silva. So that's my wow. first pick there. It's above the law, April 22nd, 1988. Then my second one, April 29th, 1988, uh, speaking of sequels, here's one that I'm sure that everybody was yearning for in 1988, uh, right in time for Easter, uh, the quiet backwoods town of Grover's Bend. They had some eggs hatch of their own, but not rabbit eggs. They had carnivorous alien eggs. Uh, not to worry, though, they had 80s child star Scott Grimes back to save the day again. <laughs> Of course, uh, he can't do it all by himself. He's assisted by an alien bounty hunter who has recruited the town drunk from the first movie. Of course, that's the way we do it. Uh, anyways, this is a uh, sci-fi horror gem that went on to make a whopping $3 million at the box office, which is $7 million in 2020. Uh, so it didn't do super good at the box office. Had a budget of $4.5 million, so they didn't even make their money back. Albeit, this was uh, a movie that was always on HBO in the early 90s. It's actually on Roger Ebert's most hated list. So, you know, it's got to be a pretty excellent movie. Uh, the movie would have three other sequels. Uh, one of those was just released last year as a TV movie. So it's really got some strong legs, as shitty as they might be. Uh, this horror sci-fi classic is Critters 2. And it's a fantastic series to sit down and watch with the family during quarantine. Absolutely. You know, it's actually cool. I, I realized this while I was doing the research for this. Scott Grimes is the the uh, the voice actor for Steve Smith. You ever watch American Dad on Fox? Uh, the cartoon. No, I know it exists, but I've never seen. Yeah, it. he he's been the the voice of the the son for I don't know how many seasons that's been on. But wow. I didn't even know. I thought he just faded away. But yeah, there it is. My two picks. Uh, we got Above the Law and Critters Two. All right, let's go down to Judge Robert Tepper for the ruling for the movies round. So the first one was the Eddie Murphy, right? Right. Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, Life. So he, here I am. So every Sunday I've been meeting a friend of mine, right, at uh, Coffee Bean on Whitsitt, right, here in L.A. And I tell you, most Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock, Eddie's there, okay? And I see Eddie, and it's like, you know, people are like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> really? You know, first of all, so – Eddie has this big comeback year, right? This big comeback year that's just crazy, right? And I never say two words. I mean, maybe I look up and he says, hey, and I say, hey. Okay, we never, I'm talking to my friend Ian, right? We're hanging out. It's like the gin game. We go to every Sunday, except not the last freaking nine Sundays. You know, so we're in there. And so I had just seen Dolomite, right? And I said to him, I go, I know, so I saw him and he's waiting for his coffee and he's got like a bodyguard guy with him. And I said, look, I know a million people come up to you. I just want to thank you. I'm a huge fan. I'm so glad you're back. And he gave me the little heart thing with the peace sign. You know what I mean? So I love Eddie Murphy, man. Eddie Murphy could not make enough movies as far as I'm concerned. And the other thing sounds like a cool ghost, sounds like a cool movie. So Man Crush, I don't know what the hell you were talking about, man. I, I, what did you pick? You you went right to the garbage heap for yours, didn't you? <laughs> well, Above the Laws, yeah, come on. That's that's a classic. Yeah, but Steven Seagal is like, that's like a poor man Stallone, man. You know, it's like it's like shopping at Kmart <laughs> instead, instead of Barney's. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to go get some nice clothes at, uh, you know. At the thrift store with Steven Seagal. Hated Steven Seagal. 
the word schmuck always came up when I saw that guy. I just really could never stand him. And the other movie you picked, I, you know what the best part of your movie is? The guy who's doing the voiceover, who's 800 years old. That guy, that was, a, that was the best part. But you won that round because you suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Man Crush, you take a two-to-one lead heading into the first two-point round. What category are we going to go with next? Oh, man. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Television. We'll finish up with music since that—that's uh, Robert's thing. So we'll finish it up is. with music. Let's go. TV. I've seen a couple of TV shows. You know, I don't live in a cave. I do see TV. <laughs> let's see if you've seen these ones. <laughs> it is the worst of at this point. Uh, all right. So uh, April eighteenth, nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah. Obviously, you didn't grow up like we did. You're a little bit older than us. Just a little. A little bit. We watched like the damnedest things as kids, 1988. And it usually started with Nickelodeon. We had kids getting slimed and doubled there. We had we were lighting shit on fire with Mr. Wizard. We were destroying homes and finders keepers. Uh, you were getting your friends in trouble on kids court. And then they taught us what nostalgia was all about because they gave us like Car 54, Mr. Red and all those those shows. So it was seriously, it was like a one stop shop for kids entertainment. But they were missing one thing in 1988, and they gave it to us on April 18th. Nudity? No, no, no not quite. Heroin? Uh, <laughs> that would be 2020. Uh, but they marked their ninth anniversary on April of uh, 1988, and they knew they were different from the other kids' networks like Disney, and they wanted to treat their demographic like they were intelligent viewers. So when you think about that, they really wanted to put us in the driver's seat during those years, and they did for the most part. Because we ran all the shows. Kids were on every show on that network. We even got to pick the classics. So in spite of that, they decided it was time for kids to pick the award winners. So on April 18th, 1988, we got the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards I remember for the that. first time. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, since then, there's been 31 Kids' Choice Awards. Uh, it seems like it's been getting bigger and bigger every year. Uh, the first year was highlighted by the host Tony Danza and Debbie Gibson. And we got a couple live performances by the Fat Boys. And uh, Debbie Gibson gave us two songs. She performed Shake Your Love and Out of the Blue. But that all happened on April 18th, 1988. And then my <laughs> second one, this one, Robert, you might have saw this one. Because I, I think my parents watched this at the time. Um, and I remember watching at least one of his syndicated shows I watched with them. Uh, but this one happened on April 13th, 1988, right on my 10th birthday. Geraldo took us on an adventure. Inside Al Capone's secret <laughs> vault, which was uh, it was a pick that I had sometime last year. Yeah, I remember. And this. then he 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 brought us the classic after that, Men in Lace Panties and the Women Who Love Them. And then uh, he gave us a live drug bust, and then he gave us Teen Runaways. But now he has something way more hard hitting in 1988. He had Murder live from Death Row. Wow, uh, Geraldo, he's at it again, and once again. We all tuned in, just like Al Capone being the top-rated show. That night, Murder Live from Death Row topped the ratings for the month with a 22.9 rating and a 34% share. So that's one in three television sets were watching fucking Geraldo Rivera's bullshit. Wow. <laughs> this being the sixth syndicated primetime event of his, it included on-air discussions with a live studio audience. Uh, there were segments on serial killers, Children Who Kill, Celebrity Stalkers, Unsolved Mysteries, and the juiciest part, which everybody was tuning in for, it was clips from Geraldo's two-hour interview with Charles Manson. So wow. what a way 
to cap off my 10th birthday. Pure happiness right there. <laughs> we got uh, per- Geraldo live from death row. Oh, wow. Seeing Charlie with the swastika in the middle of his head. How fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, come down. We're going to have cake and watch Geraldo. All right. Here I come, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. What do you got for 1999? All right. April 29th, 1999, we saw the debut of a pilot of a TV show that's still on the air today and going strong. WWF SmackDown debuted. No fucking way. Very first episode of SmackDown. Now, coming into this, the WWF was gaining momentum in the war with WCW. They wanted a show to compete with WCW Thunder on Thursday night. So they launched SmackDown on April 29th, 99. That first episode, where we were storyline-wise, The Undertaker had just abducted Stephanie McMahon and had crucified her while trying to marry her at the same time. (laughs) By the end of the episode, The Undertaker joined Shane McMahon, and we have the formation of the Corporate Ministry. Corporate Ministry. (laughs) Wow, look at that. Nick knew that right away. (laughs) If you don't know the Corporate Ministry storyline, I'm not going to spoil the ending of it for you because it's it's a jewel unto its own. So, yeah. so that's my exactly. first TV selection, the debut of SmackDown. Still going strong. It is now over on Fox on Friday nights. Um, my second television selection, you know, we'll go back to what you were saying, Man Crush. You know, back in the day, we used to watch the damnedest things on TV. And in 1999, that was no exception either. I give you the Syphil and Ollie show. Ended its run in April 1999. The Syphil and Ali show, it's a, it was a TV show, if you're not familiar with it, that was on MTV. It was a uh, variety show, all done with sock puppets. Was it the Syphil and Ali show? Yeah. Was that like, yeah, yeah. I posted this this morning to our Facebook group and uh, reached out to a bunch of our duelers to see if who remembered this show. Got a ton of responses. People wow. love this show. It still has a cult following to today. The uh, the group that follows it, they call them Sockheads. I wonder if that guy that I saw at Walgreens the other day that had the tube sock around his face, if he was a Sockhead. He might have been. That might have been why he was doing that. I saw a guy, Robert, I was telling him about this. I, w- I went to Walgreens. Everyone's got these makeshift masks on. This guy is in front of me in line, and he's That's he's got to be like 300 pounds. He's a huge guy, big bowling ball head. And he's got a tube sock, like the top cut off where the line's on the top of your okay. sock. And it's just going across his face. His face was like, looked like it was ready to explode. This thing was I so know. tight. We, they've been posting some really weird masks, man. It's pretty funny. Some guy in like a plastic bag, you know, with the tube sticking out of the top of it. It's like <laughs> really, really crazy shit, you know, pretty funny. Well, anyhow, those are sockheads. Yeah. Surprisingly, there's a lot of sockheads out there. I bet. Yeah. They told me today on our Facebook group, a lot of people fans of this show. So Syphil and Ollie. And the debut of WWE SmackDown. Wow. Okay. Okay. My turn, right? All right. Yep. All right. So you guys, you, you've you, you've managed to pull me in two directions at the same time of who who is the worst? Because first of all, it's like Geraldo. I go back. Geraldo actually hit the scene where he did this report on a place called Willowbrook in Staten Island, where I was going to school, right? And Willowbrook was like the, he uncovered this like. 
it was basically a, a crazy a, 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 a house, a state-run home for the insane. And he went in there, and it was disgusting. Okay, people were being abused, and this was this is how he got on the map. It was actually like a big deal. Like, wow, look what he did. And then he immediately goes downhill. But that Al Capone thing was enough to make you want to just take him and hang him from the highest tree, right? It was like, it was so bad. I mean, you'd be down in a basement with him with, you know, like like he had lifted a manhole cover, walked down and said, and now here we are, we're Al Capone's hideout. You know, it was such bullshit. It was unbelievable. So that's one side. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is I've had, three, four, five boys, five kids. I've had to go through my wrestling with each and every one of them, okay? Every one of them has been into wrestling at some point. Mickey Mouse, when my kid Sam was like seven and eight, he kicked the shit out of Mickey like there was no tomorrow, man, like tumble rolls <laughs> and everything. He would just kill him, okay? So uh, I, I'm going to have to go with like – What's worse, man? You know, you just, you can't fight wrestling. You can't, I, you know, Nick, I'm going to have to say you won that round, man. You're going to have to give it to you, man. Because, yeah, the Geraldo thing is, Geraldo <laughs> is nothing but annoying. He is nothing but annoying. Now, if Mark was able to finish that storyline. Yes. He might have actually taken that. Yeah. But that probably, that, when did that end? Did that roll over into 2000? I don't want to spoil it for the listeners about what happens. I mean, it's what? a huge reveal. So. It's 21 years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, what yeah. happened? All right. Spoilers. What happens? The whole thing is a ruse. Mr. McMahon is behind the corporate ministry the whole time to double cross Stone Cold Steve Austin. Wow. Shocker. All got set up on Friday Night SmackDown wow. in April of 99. I think he had a moneymaker there. What do you think? You think? Oh, wow. He made a few bucks here and there. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> So my kid today, because they're all looking for things to do, we have a wrestling collection. Like I should have, I should have grabbed it and brought it in here because we have so many wrestlers, man. Like hundreds of them, hundreds of them. I'm, the, you know, hopefully uh, they can cash them in after we're all broke after not making money, <laughs> being in our houses for the next five years. So <laughs> got a wrestler? Can God, I get I a piece not. of pizza, please? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a stone cold. It's a stone cold original in the box. In the box. Get the fuck out. Get out of here. Got five of those. All right, man crush. You won the first two point round. So that means your picks suck the most and you won this game. Yes. Oh. But we're gonna move on and play the final round, which is the music round. Just for ha-has. Let's play the final round. It is the music round. We have to. I'll let you I will defer to you, Mark. You can. Can we make this a two-point round just to keep it interesting, or is that? It it is, but it's still four to one. Oh, (laughs) let's make it a three-point. Hey, I never said I was good at math, man. I never said that. (laughs) Why don't we make it a double bonus three-point round? Is that a first? We'd have to make it. Hold on, we'd have to make it a four-point round. Right. Let's make it a four. Let's make it a four-point. Let's make it a fucking four-point. Come on. Yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. I don't give a shit. We're all dying anyway. <laughs> Nobody could afford to listen to the show anymore anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> all right. Off to the music round. Here we go. April 12th, 1999. All right. This single was released from this band's third studio album. The song was nominated for three Grammy Awards, including Song and Record of the Year. Uh, it has become the signature song from this group. And it reached the number one spot 
in more than 25 countries. It peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for eight non-consecutive weeks, while it topped the adult top 40 mainstream charts at the same time. Now, don't get too excited, because the song I'm talking about with all these awesome accolades is a song that was also featured in a Burger King commercial in the last few years. I'm talking about I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Uh, I want it that way. Tell me why. That's solid. That one? That one? I know that song. That's the one. I remember. That's a good song, man. It's well written. It's a country hit, too. It was written by Max Martin and Adrius Carlson. Oh, yeah, he sucks. Max Martin, he wrote my... God, that's great that you told me that. I love that. Fucking Max Martin, what doesn't he write? That's so cool. That's great. Now, if you loved that song, you're going to love my second selection. Let's hear. Equally as much. Because nothing closed out the 90s like this song. Because it closed out the 90s and started an entire movement that kicked off the 2000s that we all want to desperately forget about. I'm loving this round. Go. What this is song it? was from the self-titled English language debut from this artist. You know, it's time to live the crazy life, gentlemen. We're living La Vida Loca. Ah, Ricky, my uh, bad. <laughs> Ricky. I love it. So I got the uh, Billboard Hot 100 chart. April 17th, 1999, Livin' La Vida Loca was the Hot Shot debut. This song would go on to sell over 8 million copies, making it one of the biggest singles of all time. Yep, I believe it. Wow. That's what I got for my music round. Livin' La Vida Loca, and I want it that way. Tell me why. All right. Well, I'm glad you came with two strong ones because mine are pretty strong too. So this is going to be an interesting pick for you. Yeah, yeah. It it really will because there were like if I was going to pick a really shit release, none of us would even knew what the fuck I was talking about. So I had to go kind of close to the top or in the middle. I think both are great on my end, but we'll see. Uh, April twelfth, just like Mark's, but mine's in 1988. Okay, and this is a day. Before my 10th birthday. And I remember this album coming out. I asked my mom for it. And my mom got me White Snake. Ooh. All right. I don't know where I'm going. You mean the one with yes. the, the girl? The one, yeah. the one with all the hits? That one? It was, yeah, the one. It's like, uh, it came out in 87. It, we actually posted I it, I made think, today, up my or... mind. That guy, that one? Yeah, that. I am wasting no more time. Yeah, I love that one. That's a great one. <laughs> So they got me that instead. But that's not the one that I wanted. Okay. The one that I wanted. <laughs> Sorry. I broke into song there. I apologize. No, that's fine. It actually sounded really good. But the <laughs> uh the uh, and I'm I'm curious to find your opinion on this one too. All right. So the artist that I'm talking about, his previous album, it was like a total letdown commercially. It peaked at 177 on the Billboard Top 200. So it kind of seemed that he was kind of falling to the wayside. He was going to be forgotten kind of soon. And then April 12th, 1988, he releases this album and all that shit's forgotten. This is this album is this man's fifth studio album. It was certified platinum. It was his best selling to date until Alapalooza in 1993. Weird Al? <laughs> yes. The moment I heard fat on the radio, I immediately knew this album was a force to be reckoned with. I, I think I'm a clone now is on there. I think clone now. Lasagna, alimony. Uh, stuck in a closet with Vanna White. <laughs> it's it's an iconic parody album, and like 
you know what? Growing up, I always thought that uh, like Michael Jackson would hate him for these songs. But I found out like Michael Jackson actually loved this. He loved it so much that he let Weird Al use the Moonwalker set to do the fat Absolutely. He was like the first to give him permission on the song. He encouraged it incredibly. He loved it. I had even heard at one point that Michael Jackson would just send him the backing tracks as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard something like that too. (laughs) That's fucking crazy. Well, anyhow, like Weird Al, he would go on to win a Grammy. So Mark's got Grammys. I got Grammys. He won a Grammy for the music video. And obviously he would laugh all the way to the bank on his release for even worse which is the name of the album, It would, which is fitting <laughs> for this worse. episode. Not better than the rest, even worse. I like it. <laughs> even worse. <laughs> That's going to be my follow-up after all this shit's done. <laughs> even worse. I still remember. You remember the album, though? It was like the uh, the playoff of oh, Dad. Yes. I remember the video. Yeah, I mean, it had top 10 video on, on MTV. It was great. Yeah, I recently showed that video to my 10-year-old. Uh, he's discovered Michael Jackson's music. Sure, so he likes. He knows all the songs. So I was telling him about this guy, Weird Al. I showed him the bad music video because he knows the song. So then I showed him the Weird Al fat video, and it blew his mind. <laughs> That's so great. Because I'm fat. Oh, the kids still love fat. him, man. They, it, we played for our kids, and they, it holds up, man. People love. Oh him. yeah, they love it. Good stuff. Ham on whole wheat. <laughs> What do you got for your second one, man? All right, my second one. All right. April 5th, 1988. It's getting a little harder. Uh, Coming off their 1987 release, Rock the House, you just kind of had a feeling that this duo was up to something. And uh, the second out, the sophomore album, did not disappoint. The lead vocalist of this duo, barely 20 years old. A lot of the stories in these lyrics, they related to us kids, my age and a little bit older. So the moment this album dropped in 1988, we immediately took to it because of the single parents just don't understand. Oh yeah. And, I mean, it became like our anthem for 1988. Yeah. You know, I asked her for Adidas and she bought me zips. DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh the my Fresh God. Prince. Oh, this is great. Okay. Yep. So the, the album here is uh he's the DJ. I'm the rapper three times platinum for the sophomore effort. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. The, the album peaked at number four on the billboard top 200. Uh, featured three singles. Obviously, the other one, Parents Don't Understand, Nightmare on My Street, and Brand New Funk were the other two. Uh, it won the first ever Grammy for uh, Best Rap mm-hmm. Performance with Parents Just Don't Understand. And we can't discount the fact that it's one of the first ever hip-hop albums, if not the first one ever, to be a double album. And then it catapulted Will Smith into becoming like the 90s juggernaut. He was like the 90s poster boy. Yeah, he did stuff after that album, right? Oh, my God. That was... Yeah. <laughs> Let's go down to Judge Robert Tepper for the final ruling on this game. Wow. Wow. Man, you guys, you guys went for the for the fences. You both hit like freaking like Grand Slam home runs, you know? The introduction of Max Martin winning a a Grammy. How cool is that? I mean, I, I'm in awe of that guy. You know what I mean? It's that guy's written. It's crazy. It's like a hit machine, man. It's worked with everybody. He's just, you know, he's living in Sweden. Okay, granted, there's nothing to do there but write songs. But still, I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. And living a vida loca. I mean, that's, you know, I remember Chris Rock came out with his special. Remember, whenever he didn't know what to say, he goes, living a vida loca. It was so funny, man. I love that. But on the other hand, Nick, 
comes out with my label mate, Weird Al, and I used to bowl at the Tony Martell's, at the Tony Martell thing for, for his, uh, I think one of his relatives, it was a charity, and I used to do it with him. And so he was on Scotty Brothers with me. But he started out on, you know, on that, on no that label. Shit. Yes. So that was that. And then, and then you picked, and, and what was the other one you picked? Uh, oh. DJ Jazz DJ and Jeff and the Jazz Fresh Prince. What do you think has been getting my kids through in the morning? Because they come out, we can't put like 40,000 dead, 60,000 yet to die. We can't put that on TV with three 10-year-olds running around and nine-year-olds. Yep. So yeah. we got to put on the Prince of Bel-Air, right? Fresh yeah. Prince of Bel-Air. And the starting song is, you know, and Jazzy Jeff's in it. So, you know, my label mate, you're he's will saving my family here we watch it every morning we got with tape in every rerun of the fresh prince so mark james you just scored a lot of freaking points my friend you just scored a lot of freaking points i don't suck <laughs> monster comeback oh you know what it's like it, that's the other way to do it. You can pick something that's so obscure and shitty, or you could just go for the wall and make and force me as a judge to like go through all these different. You know, it's like you're twisting my brain here. I like it. That's that's. Great. I'm glad it ended like that. Yeah, though. yeah. Like coming with four solid picks because when you're looking at it, and we've done this before, right? When uh, John Cross used to judge a lot of our episodes. John would go through and be like, oh, this album, and he'd read them off. Oh, you could have picked this one or this one or this one. There's so many shitty albums that, not even so so much that they're shitty. Yeah. It's just albums that nobody's ever heard Never. of. Never. So, yeah, we could have done that, Absolutely. but, like, what what's the fun in that? There's no you know? fun in that. And and actually, I mean, oh, so what's his name? Came out with the guitar player from, uh, who was in Kiss for five minutes, did his first solo record, you know, and, and, and it's over. Mark St. John? <laughs> that guy Mark St. John did a solo record Mark St. John did a solo record That's right. on the next episode of Dueling Decades That's right. you know what I'm saying it's like it's so easy to find shit you know but to to batter me with greatness man that's what you did you battered me with greatness there that was so cool so I lost five to four oh, in the my first God. ever uh, you know, four-point round. No <laughs> Nick, Nick, there's no shame in losing. That, that, was a, that was a tough last round. I really enjoyed the last round. That was so cool. That was great. Nice. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Robert, for coming back on the show yet yeah, again. All right, man. If you're prone to be an alcoholic, don't get crazy this time. Now, you know, I know you're all in your house <laughs> and in your studio. The power is out. The wind is blowing uh, viruses all through your apartments. Yeah. But don't yep. don't get crazy, you know? Don't get crazy. Hang in there. This too shall pass. I'm drinking a Coors Light, so I think I'm, I'll be – I'm just hydrating. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, let, let me just tell you from a guy who used himself really heavy. I'm looking over to my right top box, and Mark's sitting there sucking on the only thing that killed more people than than the than the than the virus right the virus as i call it is that plastic thing that he's sucking on back there and you're sitting down in your fifth beer now what is uh, no, it's, this is only my on the lower left hand corner you're sitting there drinking like a fish so the show's probably going to be on only for a couple of more years so guys don't miss this one this is a good one you know, it's crazy. Like uh, Mark and I were talking about this yesterday, and I talked about it with my wife. We were listening to like some sixties and seventies music, sure. And I was reading like Eric Clapton's story, and like Great. 
I said to Mark, I go, you know, all these guys, they were heavy into like heroin and they were alcoholics and all this stuff. And now they're all in their late fucking seventies, early eighties. And they're still alive. Like what the fuck? Because you're only hearing about the ones who made it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there there are so many who didn't, you know what I mean? There's like, there's probably just as many who didn't. And the ones who did, you know, you know, I mean, Keith Moon didn't make it. Jimi Hendrix didn't make it. You know, how many people OD'd a ton, man, you know, and uh, it's strange how, I mean, yeah, how some guys are like, you know, are are like old Buicks, you know, like they're made of metal, you know, you know, the funniest thing I I saw is a coronavirus and it said, Keith Richards, oh, I know that virus, I used to smoke it in the 70s. We were Mark and I were talking about that. I said they should just get Keith Richards' blood right. to make the right. vaccine. And spray it on New York. Fly over New York and spray <laughs> Keith Richards' blood on it. Watch it. It is like a bad horror film, man. You got to admit. But for your fans, we didn't dwell on it. I think we did a good job. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, you guys are the kings of all this. But I felt like for the times we're living in, we did okay. We didn't, you know, we didn't get too crazy negative. You know, it was kind of good. No, absolutely not. And you know, we need to get you back because you, I'm sure you know about this stuff that we're going to be doing. We did an episode two weeks ago. We experimented with a 60s versus 70s episode. And people liked it a lot. So we're actually going to branch out to do yeah, it. Yeah, and, you know, I probably know more about that than the than the uh, VH1 slime. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back for that. We'll that sounds great, guys. Okay, I'm going to go eat dinner because they all started without me. But I had fun as usual. You guys are great. And I hope, I hope it's okay. If you need anything, let me know. Will do, man. Thanks a lot. And stay healthy, bro. Take care, guys. You too. Take care, guys. All right, Jewelers. Well, we'll end this episode right here. But if you've missed an episode, don't worry. You can always head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. And then remember to drop a review for the show. Let everyone know what you thought about our judge, Robert Tepper. And then while you're on the interwebs, head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.